This podcast episode is sponsored by Navy Pro Tools. As business owners of Ever Pretty Beauty Studio, we understand the importance of using the highest quality tools and hygiene products. We instantly fell in love with Navy Pro Tools when we first invested in their cuticle pushers named Ethel and Doris. Their titanium coating gives them their signature gold look, but also helps minimise cross-contamination, and we were blown away by their precision. Hygiene has always been a top priority in the studio, and using the Navy three-step hygiene process has allowed us to work safely and effectively, giving us full confidence. Navy's hygiene system has been created with the help from Dr Fenton, an infection prevention and control expert. If you wish to place an order, you can use our code PRETTY10 for 10% discount. Welcome to the Beauty Edit Podcast, a podcast solely dedicated to the nail and beauty industry. In today's episode, we are shining the spotlight on Christopher Finch, but you may know him as Mr Finch and Skin. We will be chatting about the important topic, overcoming challenges in the beauty industry, because despite what social media may portray, there are always hurdles and obstacles to overcome. As a male therapist, Chris has a lot of experience to share. His attitude towards his work, business and the industry is powerful and his story is truly inspirational. Keep listening to find out about the obstacles Chris has faced, but more importantly how he persevered to become the successful business owner and therapist he is today and how he proved all the people who doubted him wrong. Hi Chris. Hello, hi. Hi, thank you for joining us on the Beauty Edit podcast. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. No, it's our pleasure. How could we not? We've heard so many good things about you. Oh, bless. That's lovely. I definitely, I've noticed a bit more people in the industry kind of paying more attention to me recently, shall we say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 I think because I've spent quite a lot of years quite under the radar and kind of didn't really shout about who I was or what I did. So recently, I don't know, people seem to be finding me a bit more. Yeah, I think with like the power of social media now, I mean, it might not, I don't know if this is the case, but potentially when you started off in the industry, it probably wasn't as powerful as what it is now. Um, Whereas now we can all get to speak to people and get to meet people virtually that we didn't, that we couldn't before. Yeah, definitely. that's, That's definitely an amazing thing that's come out of lockdown. Just connecting with everybody. Because I didn't join Instagram until about a year ago. But (gasps) in the first lockdown, I know, as from a business perspective. And um, it was really strange because I've had my business for eight years. I've been in the industry 12 years. And I'd never really been that active on social media. I was a little bit late to the party, shall we say. (laughs) Um, But yeah, the last 12 months, I've definitely noticed more people in the industry getting to know who I am and what my story is and my background and it's really lovely like because I've met lovely people like you guys that have invited me on here yeah <laughs> is this your sure. first podcast yes it is yes is I've it? Been, and actually believe it or not I've been invited to speak on lots of different podcasts and lots of like events and things but I've always been I'm quite a shy character and people don't always expect that from me um but yeah I thought I need to venture out of my comfort zone and you guys were so lovely and made me feel so welcome so I wanted to do it oh well you're an absolute natural yeah you are and we're so pleased obviously that you agree yeah yeah oh thank you so much so for anyone that maybe doesn't know who you are um because I know we've we've got right in there with a bit of chatting um (laughs) do you want to maybe give us and our listeners a bit of an introduction to yourself please Yes, of course, I'd love to. So um, I'm Chris and I'm the owner and the founder of Mr Finch and Skin and that is a clinic that is based just outside Manchester. Um, So I've been in the beauty industry 12 years, so pretty much my entire adult um, working life. So I started 12 years ago in the beauty route into the industry. So I did level two, level three, and then I had a salon when I was at college and then that failed and we'll discuss that later but that failed and then I went to work for somebody else for a couple of years and then about eight years ago actually eight years this year I launched my own business my own salon and then over the years has progressed into more advanced treatments and now become a clinic so one of the things 
I mean, we need to come and visit, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. don't we, Shelby? We've yeah. been saying how desperate we are. We need yeah. facials. We're like, oh. we definitely need to make time and come and visit you. Yes. Um, where did the name come from? Oh, the name. So I've actually had a few names, um, business names over the period of time that I've had been in business. So my original name of my business was Beauty by Christopher LeBeau, believe it or not. Oh, I like and, that. Yeah, so the label came from a great, great grandma. And at that time, when I opened the salon eight years ago, um, my kind of main services were very much beauty-led, like waxing, manicures, pedicures, massage. And at that time, it just felt right. And then a few years later, I changed it to the Wellington Street Day Spa. Oh. Um, and that served its purpose for a few years because I was doing lots of massage, lots of facials. And then about five years ago, I relocated my business into a big premises. I outgrew my original premises. And at that time, I was definitely changing and adapting my business and my career. It was becoming much more focused around skin and treatments. And it just felt rhyme. It just felt right, really. I felt, I kind of did it because Finch and Skin rhymed. That was the main purpose <laughs> for it. It wasn't any, I just really liked it. Um, but I actually am about to have a bit of a name change, um, a bit of an exclusive here for you. Um, yes, uh, it's nothing major, but I definitely want to change it in the sense of that adding the word clinic onto the end of it. So Mr. Finch and Skin Clinic, just because I feel like it gives a little bit of a different feel and a different vibe yeah. to the business. Yeah. yeah, I think it does actually. I, I always like the word clinic. It feels very yeah. clinical. clinical. <laughs> yeah. Because one of the things people always ask me is, you know, Mr. Finch and skin. And then the next question is, well, what do you do? So I think if I add the word clinic, automatically you think, oh, right, skin treatments, you know, body yeah. treatments, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. It could potentially be a product, Mr. Finch and skin, couldn't it? Yeah. It could yeah. be a product based business, not a yeah. service. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm definitely going to have a little change. Um, it was going to happen last year, but it may happen this year, but it will happen at some point. Oh, exciting. Yeah. So obviously, we we invited you on to discuss overcoming challenges within yes. the beauty industry. Yes. And I mean, it's been terrible, hasn't it, this past year for the beauty industry? Yeah. Um, who would have ever thought we were going to have a pandemic and be closed for so long? Yeah. Um, so we know a little bit about you, but we would absolutely love you to share more details about what you have done in your career and okay. what challenges you faced and how have you dealt with them really okay so I've had lots and lots of challenges across my 12, <laughs> my 12 years in the industry as we've discussed previously um but I think I want to take you right back to the beginning um of when I was at college um because I think that's a really interesting place to start so when I was at college and I signed up to the course, I was quite young. I think I was about 21, 22 at the time. And I didn't really know what I was signing up for. I really didn't understand the magnitude of what I was walking into. So on my first day, I get to college and I realise that I'm the only male on the course. And there was about 25 students on that course in the first year. And I was the only male on that course. And I didn't realise at the time that particular college had never really had many male students before. So I was kind of one of the first, if you like, for that particular college. That was a challenge in itself. Yeah, I can believe, I can believe like they don't really facilitate. I mean, no. I, I would like yeah. to think they do today. Yeah. But thinking back to when we were at college, Shelby, you know, like, I don't know, changing facilities and toilets yes. and things yeah. like that. I don't yeah. think they were very clued up back then. No, I don't think they were prepared for it. I think I'd like to think that the industry and the attitudes has changed towards men having it as a viable career option. Yeah. Um, but for me, what I actually found, and it used to really frustrate me, and it still does to this day, is people assume that men that come into the industry are going to, be a certain way and people do definitely stereotype men to be like gay men that come into the industry obviously as a as a gay man myself um I definitely got stereotyped into being the you know the gay man that does nails and things like that and makeup 
And I definitely think people underestimated me because of that. And mm. it used to really frustrate me. And I still get it to this day, people that automatically assume that all I do is, is do beauty. And they don't always necessarily see that I had such a vast experience in lots of other areas within the industry. Yeah. I mean, it, it's such, even even today, stereotyping in the beauty industry. Oh. It's even yeah. for female, you know, everybody really? expects yeah. us to be blonde. Yeah, you know, so, not not well yeah. educated, yes. you know, and there's yeah. absolutely so much that goes in to running a beauty business, whether yeah, that's your that's accounts, it. social media. We're we're a bit of everything. Yeah, um, we wear many hats, don't we? We, we do. wear many many hats. We yeah. absolutely do. And I mean, one of our podcasts was about stereotyping, wasn't it, it Shelby? Was. And you know, like experiences that Shelby's faced at school. You know, when she said, like, yeah. I'm already enrolled at college. You know, when she had a yeah careers advice and they were like what you know you can do yeah. better you can go to university yeah. but yeah it's like yeah. Wh- why are we looked down looked upon down. I definitely had that myself there was people at that time 12 years ago when I did enroll on a college course to pursue a career in beauty there were people that basically said to me you won't succeed in the industry a male can't perform the job as well as a lady why um, I don't oh, understand I if, I definitely if, had that. I definitely had that. And um, it was just really, I even had close family members say to me, you know, don't bother opening a salon. You won't succeed. You've got too much competition around you. There was definitely people that was naysayers that wanted to kind of put me in their little box and keep me there. And I was like, I ain't staying in this box. Yeah. But then again, like a male uh, massage therapist. Nobody yes. really stereotypes them, do they? They think I it's think, great yeah. because they think, you know... I think it depends on the individual of the therapist and their personality. I, yeah. definitely, I definitely think that depends on that. But I think there's, there's different subsections within the industry, isn't there? Like there's physiotherapy, massage therapists. Mm. You get some male therapists that focus on nails, some that focus on skin, some that focus on makeup. I just think it depends on the subcategory that you're specialising in as well. Yeah. Whereas for me, I kind of specialised in everything. Like there wasn't a one particular thing at that time that I didn't do. Um, and in this day, I still specialise in quite a lot, but... I think um, attitudes have changed towards it, though. Do you think it's changed enough? Um, it's hard to say. I think for me personally, I think it's changed. What I found is because I've been in the industry 12 years and I've had to fight for my position and my um, hierarchy, if you like, I think people look at me and think they trust me, you know, they, they, I'm validated. They know I've been around a long time, so they're more confident in my ability. But I think in the early days, there was definitely, I had to prove myself. I can remember the very first job that I had in a salon and I, they didn't, they took a pun really. They took a bit of a, a risk taking a male therapist on and their clients sometimes didn't always want a male therapist. I can remember there'd be clients booked in the diary and I'd come to greet the client and they'd go, I don't want him. And that kind of rejection was really hard in the early days to accept. But as the years progressed and I got more confident in my skills and what I can offer, you know, I think I don't get as much objection these days as what I did back then. But I imagine a male coming into the industry now may still get that objections maybe. Yeah, I can see how that is a huge, huge challenge. And probably yeah. a constant one as well that's sort yeah. of forever you know yeah progressing yeah it's really funny because like in the clinic my partner is obviously male and he is on front of house reception and sometimes I kind of forget that we're two males running what is predominantly a, a clinic salon in a female environment in a female industry um, and sometimes I kind of have to you know pinch myself and say you know you know, look how far you've come. Two males that are running a, a business that maybe 20 years ago, males just wouldn't be in. Yeah. yeah. I think it does need to still progress because nobody would think, like with just what you've just been saying, Chris, nobody would bat an eyelid if it was two males running a hair salon. Mm. Yes. Do you know, yeah. it's like, so why yeah. should it be different for yeah a skin clinic or a beauty salon or whatever it may be yeah Yeah. and you know I don't know if this is just me saying this I I don't know I think if I were going for a facial say 
and a male said oh hi you know like I'm Chris I'll be carrying out your treatment today I don't know there's something I don't know good about it I think they're gonna know their stuff (laughs) yeah because I think that's because some of the men that we do know in the industry are incredibly good at what they do yeah maybe that's because they have had to prove themselves that little bit more I totally agree with that. And do you know, funny enough, I do actually see that, actually. So as much as I've seen the negative side of it where people object against having a male therapist, in the other sense, you do get ladies and gentlemen that actually prefer a male therapist Mm. as well because they know that that person's probably had to earn their right within an industry and fight for it. And and like you say, they know their stuff. Yeah. yeah, but that's also your USP, I think. Yes, mm. yeah, I definitely noticed that. I definitely get clients that do come into the clinic and have treatments say, I, I chose to come to you over a female salon because you're different and you have a different energy about you as well and a different bedside manner, if you like. Yeah, I love chatting to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I you. think as well, when you're female and you're going into a salon, that's, you know, probably 100% female employees you can feel a little bit intimidated sometimes yeah yeah you know I do think you're bringing a lot to the party Chris I've got to be honest thank you yeah (laughs) I don't even a lot of ladies do say to me actually um they like the fact that I'm male because they feel like there's non-judgmental there and there's no kind of looking down at them or judging them or stereotyping them and I think like you say some in a woman in a woman's environment like a, an all-female salon it can be a little bit dare I say it bitchy yeah. and a little and I have experienced it because I've worked in a salon that was a female environment and I have been there and seen it from my own eyes um so yeah one of the things clients do say to me is you know we do like the fact that you're male because there's no kind of bitchiness or anything like that yeah one thing I'd like to ask you is how do you think we could encourage males, more males into Ooh. the industry. More males into the industry. Um, I think by having more males like myself that are championing mm. it yeah. and out there um, waving the flag. Yeah, as definitely. Um, and it's funny, it was only, it's only recently that it's kind of becoming my own awareness of it, actually, because I've been so busy in the last like 12 years with my head down, working really hard that I'm on the other side of it now and I think oh my god you know though I need to champion it a little bit more because I think that there are probably males out there that would love a career in the industry and and not just a career but a business within the industry because I think there's two different things there having a business and a career is two different things Mm. um but I think it starts from education I think you know the colleges need to be more diverse and attract males and funny enough actually asking me this question is quite relevant I've recently been approached off the college where I did my training 12 years ago and they want to feature me in their prospectus for that's amazing for this summer um as a success story now whether that's because I was a male therapist I don't know or whether they just want a success story I don't know but I think the fact that they're going to feature a male in in a college prospectus for beauty is fantastic I mean I don't think I've ever seen that before Mm, no don't think I have and I think as well it probably needs to go even further down the line previous to that because I know when I was like in high school or even primary school I remember they had to you had to draw around your hand so your five fingers this was like in you know year six or whatever it is (laughs) and you then had to create a poster with like five jobs you'd like to do now, mine was nails, you know, like yeah, that's what, yeah. what what I wanted to do. But it was always a case of the girls would do hair and beauty. Yeah. And, you know, maybe, I don't know, what were the higher end? Like nursing. Yeah, nursing, nursing. yeah. Child Whereas, care, yeah. Yeah, childcare, yeah. yeah. Whereas guys would do be an electrician, a plumber, yeah. a joiner. Yeah. An engineer, yeah. yeah something yeah. like that. Like, well, what if actually... That's not what people want to do. What yeah. if a woman wants to be an engineer? Yeah. What if an engineer wants yeah. to be a beauty therapist? Exactly, yeah. yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? I do. Yeah. Funny enough, I actually, um, I have some lady clients that actually are engineers, actually. Yeah. I've got quite a, I have quite a few female clients that actually have gone down the route of unorthodox career options, just like I have. But it's, it's really interesting that it's not just in our sector. I think it's in other sectors as well. Yeah, yeah. 
it'd be nice it'd be nice if we were having this conversation in you know five ten years time and there'd been a big switch up um, yeah definitely. i think we're going the right way there's like yeah. this whole like you know the pay gap between males and females and things like that so there's definitely talk going on about how things should change yeah yeah definitely so so going back to college then so you had this sort of initial challenge and then what happened oh so quite a little (laughs) bit of a sad story so when I was at college I thought I knew everything I was 21 22 quite cocky and blase and I thought I'm going to open a salon so I was in my last maybe six months of my level three and I thought I'm going to open a salon I had no money no cash no experience of treatments and working with clients. I just thought, I'm going to do this. So I did open a salon, but sadly, it fell on its face. I fell on my face. And basically, it didn't even last the summer. And I had to close it. And it, it absolutely devastated me. I was absolutely heartbroken. But looking back, it was totally the right thing for me to close it because I got snapped up off one of the college tutors that had her own established salon. And she gave me a job and she took me under a wing and I did three years for that salon. And it was the best time of, of my life looking back because it was where I perfected my craft. It was where I learned how to do what I would regard as like general beauties, like your waxing, your brows, your manicures, pedicures, your facials. It really gave me a foundation to work on. Yeah. Do you mind me asking what it was about the salon that sort of led to it? I don't like to say the word failing. It's closing. No, I don't mind. So it was a combination of inexperience as a businessman and being an young, young and age. And it was definitely inexperience within the industry of actually doing treatments, not understanding how treatments are done. Because bearing in mind, I was still actually undergoing the training at college and it was a proper high street salon it was a big shop um and I was also going through some personal issues at the time I was going through a messy breakup with my partner I'd been in an abusive relationship at that time and I broke free of that relationship and it was just an accumulation of everything basically I didn't have a support network of family around me my family didn't want me to have the salon they thought it was failed thought it was, wouldn't succeed they didn't think I was capable of having a business so there was lots of reasons to why it closed um, and it just wasn't the right time for me. And it really did devastate me at the time. I was heartbroken. And I can, re- I think I told you this previously, but I can remember the first day of my new job in the salon I got offered a job in. I still had the keys to my own shop. And I can remember traveling on the bus to this new salon on the first day, crying on the bus oh. with tears rolling down my eyes because I still had the keys to my old shop, that my dream. But I'd obviously had to give that dream up and it was just I was due to hand the keys in, but it just so happens I still had them on the first day of this new job, going to work in somebody else's salon. And that is quite there's something about that experience that really humbled me. And it never really left me um what happened that day, that the crying on the bus. And um I did like I say, I did three years for that salon. I did exactly three years. And then three years later, um I literally one day said, Right, it's time to get back on it. Um, I viewed a shop and within a week I'd left that salon and opened my own salon. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you sound like it. us though, once you've it. made a decision, yeah. that's it. Yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah. I think one thing, I mean, I know you, it must have knocked your confidence. It must yeah, have been heartbreaking. You yeah. probably had a financial loss. Yeah. But definitely. what I will say is it took some absolute guts and balls to mm. do what you did. Yeah, and it I think... was so hard. Yeah, it was one of the hardest things. And, you know, it haunted me for years. Like, the, the three years after it, even though I was in a new salon and I had a job and I was still in the industry, but I was still going through all of that, trying to prove myself as a male therapist as well. So, you know, I'd, I'd gone to work for somebody else's salon, but not only had I lost my own dream of my own business and salon, I was working in somebody else's dream and I was still trying to prove myself as a therapist to that employer because that employer, that lady that took a chance on me, um, sound like Abba um, <laughs> We won't go into song. But she really took a chance on me and, you know, it could have gone all pear-shaped for her. She'd never had a male therapist before. A lot That particular business, that salon, it had an older demographic of ladies that weren't 
familiar with seeing males beauty therapists. So, and I felt like I had a real responsibility to prove to that lady that gave me that chance that I was worthy. She only actually gave me one day a week to begin with. And I had to build up um, a clientele in that business because it wasn't a clientele there for me. And so she gave me one day a week. And when I left uh, after three years, I was doing four or five days a week. Mm, She Um, clearly saw your potential. I was just going to say that. She snapped you up. She snapped. She knew she snapped me up. She did. But um, she gave me a really big break. And I'm always eternally grateful for that. And, you know, she, she really took me under her wing. And she showed me what the industry is about. And I learned an awful lot from that business Mm. and from her as well. We always, always, um, we're like broken records, me and mum, on the podcast sometimes. Because we always sort of champion that whole getting the experience. Mm. Trying to, you know, don't be trying to run before you can walk. It's so, like, I couldn't, every time, like, every now and again, we might have a client whose daughter's, 15 leaving school yes. maybe wants to do yeah. it and they go what what course does she need to do i'm like she needs yeah. to go to college and she needs to get some work experience she mm. then needs to come out of it she needs to get a job in a salon for some years and she yeah. needs to learn the ropes not from the ground up yeah, yeah yeah you can't beat that experience in a salon where you are thrown in at the deep end if you like yeah. where you mm. where you're given paying customers where you've got to perform to a high standard and oh. Because I think sometimes if you're just doing it on friends and family, you're not learning those skills, not just the physical skills to perform the treatments, but the skills to be a therapist yeah. and yeah. how you and how you what your what your personality is a therapist as well. I think that's always important. You need to kind of learn your bedside. I talk about this a lot. Bedside manner. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things to say that. But bedside manner is what I mean by, you know, are you empathetic with clients? Yeah. Are you a good? Are you a good listener? Are you able to converse with them you know not just sit there in silence you know you've got to have good bedside manner you've got to practice that yeah and I think that does also come from the people you work with when yeah. when you go into a salon and you see how they maybe just answer the telephone or yeah. you know you you do get like a saying that you will always mm. run with and like, I I very much have sayings that you say and I yeah. pick them up from you so if you say like things like, um, can I have a, you might say, would you like a cup of tea? And they go, yeah. And you go, how do you take it? And I would, before that, I would never say, how do you take it? I'd just go, like, you'd probably do you just want go, milk? do you want a cup of tea? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's there's just little things, yeah. things in there that then yeah. just become part of your daily routine. Yeah. And it's just part of your culture, isn't it? Other yeah. Of your business, part of your culture. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Um. So, how on earth did you sort of keep that fire in your belly to to open Ooh. another salon and not just think actually I tried it it didn't work and I'm just gonna work in a salon yeah so it that that desire and that fire never really left me so even though I was working for this other salon for three years it never that vision that that kind of drive it never really left me it was still the embers were still burning for me um, and I always knew that I was going to do something big and do something amazing with my career. Mm. Um, but the main thing that definitely drove me actually was the haters that said I wouldn't do it, actually, believe it or not. Do you know, I don't mean to interrupt, but I read something this week. I can't remember what book it was. It was some kind of self-help, which is what mm. I'm into at the moment. Yeah. With mid, like nearly midlife crisis. Uh-huh. But it actually said that people who excel in the careers Mm. are the people that either were bullied at school or felt Mm. they had something to prove. Yes. And throughout your life, you've almost had that desire to prove people wrong. And that's what's made some of the most, like, amazing billionaires what they are today is because when you actually get to know them, they've either... They've, they've come across difficulties, you know, yeah, early on in life. Yeah. yeah. Um, I agree with that 100%. Because even as a as a teenager, I was really bullied at school. I was definitely the kind of the odd one out. No one wanted to be friends with me. And then as I transitioned into adulthood, and I actually had a little bit of that even at, even at college in some respects as well. You know, I always felt like a little bit of the outsider. And the other thing that really did drive me and keep it going was, 
and I'm a big believer in this, was actually about becoming financially independent. Like mm. I talk about this all the time to people because when I had the salon, when I had a goal myself, um, I broke up with an ex-partner that was, was abusive and I've been with that person a long time from being quite a young age. And when I left that partner, you know, I had no financial stability. My family wasn't around me. There wasn't a support network around me. I was very young and it was always in the back of my mind, I need to be financially secure yeah. and independent and to fight for myself as well. Mm, yeah. And that's I, what I, I love honestly it. totally agree with what you've said there. And I love that about the about this industry because I think it empowers so many women, not just men as well like me, but it gives people that opportunity to become self-sufficient and independent, financially independent, and I just love that. Yeah, and I also think as well, Chris, just like I've been thinking things as you've been chatting, but I do think the type of person that comes into the beauty industry is a certain type of person. It's yeah. a very empathetic person. Yeah. We, we seem to be very caring. We want to do the best. We want to make people yeah. feel good. But yeah. also, we don't like having bosses, which I've come to learn. Yeah. Yeah. We all love to be our own boss and own our own salons and work for ourselves yeah. and be financially stable. Yeah. So it, we are a very similar breed, I would say. Yeah. Would you, Shelby? So we we all have that determination and that passion. And yeah. yeah. That's, I think that's why it's so good to have the po- I'm not just blowing my own trumpet here, but <laughs> yeah. you know, to have the podcast where people can come and share their experiences. And I'm sure there's so many people listening to this when it goes live thinking, oh my God, yeah, you know, actually, yeah. I was bullied at school. And yeah, yeah, that I have that feeling, that fire in my belly. And I want mm. to prove something to these people. To prove the point. Yeah. Do you know what's been really interesting? I've just realized as well. During the last couple of months, I've been messaged so much on Instagram of people that are starting a beauty business. Um, I don't know what it is like on Instagram. Like my following on Instagram is quite low, actually, considering. Like I say, I was late to the party last year. <laughs> but I literally get, I must get a couple of messages a week of people that I've never met, especially women that have said to me, oh, my God, I love your clinic. I love your story and what you offer. And I'm starting on, in the industry and I'm, going on that journey and it's so lovely to see because I know that they're going to go on an amazing journey of self-discovery and they're going to be you know independent and financially stable and it's so lovely that they message me and say you know you've really inspired me it's so nice yeah I think lockdown has got a big part to play in that I think it's people have had time off work and then they've realized actually I don't enjoy my job yeah I think that definitely I think people are looking for a career change, that's for sure. Yeah. It's, do you know what I've become really noticeable is that, and it's become really fashionable, is that salons are moving off the high street and I think they're mm-hmm. moving into people's gardens and people's homes. And I've, I've lost count actually in the last month alone of how many people I've heard say they've had a, a cabin bill or some kind of something in the garden constructed to work from home. It's absolutely fascinating me that salons are coming off the high street and more in residential areas yeah in some respects because we this is exactly what's happened to us in lockdown we've gone from a i won't call it a high street but a premises a, yeah a town back, premises, yeah, yeah back to like our home studio and in some respects i think it's so sad you know you don't want to see your high street die you know it's not yeah. nice when you walk down and there's empty units and then it starts to look a bit like run down yeah. and yeah. it doesn't have that nice feel to it but then equally, this is giving people a great opportunity that, you know, maybe because, I mean, premises are expensive, yeah, so exactly. expensive. And yeah. it gives people an opportunity, like you say, to be financially independent and have yeah. that work-life balance as well. Yeah. And who knows, you know, in, a, in maybe five years from now, these little startups that are people working from their gardens or home spaces, they might grow their business to the point in five years where they expand into yeah. that back onto into the town centres and the cities and they open. These are the next generations of salons that are going to come up and forward through the ranks. Yeah, because that is, like, literally that's what happened. We had a home salon, we were busy, we expanded to the high street. Due to lockdown, we've gone back again. <laughs> so, but, yeah, like, we see it on both sides. Don't I it? think yeah. the calling people now that are starting businesses like lockdownpreneurs, because oh, really? they are, yeah, they are going to be the next generation of like yeah. entrepreneurs 
definitely and it's uh, and it and they do things completely different to how even i did it like back when i began you know that it's a completely different world that we are living in yeah. now um i think the way when you set up a beauty business now it's very different to how it was even a decade ago when i did it um i think we've got more resources to our fingertips these days i think oh, with yeah. social media that didn't exist when i was at college <laughs> snap I know. <laughs> yeah. I know but how amazing is it i mean obviously we won't go into social media because there yeah. are lots of pros and cons, cons yeah. to mm-hmm. it yeah. um but it's a it's an amazing marketing tool isn't it yeah it's it's a fantastic tool and like i say i was late to the party i haven't always necessarily utilized it to its best potential um it's, it's definitely something that my attention's on now and focusing a little bit more on um but I think you can really tell your authentic story through social media and about who you are. And that's what we didn't have that platform when I began. Yeah. So yeah. when you then opened the, I don't, should we call it the second salon? Oh, um, yeah, has it been, salon, yeah. Has it been all smooth sailing from then on? So it's been a really interesting journey the second time round when I did it. So like I say, it's been eight years this year since I opened the second salon stroke clinic. and. When I left that salon that I worked for for a few years and I opened my own salon again, it was what I would say very minimal. I just did, you know, nails, beauty, you know. And what I found now that looking back, I wish I'd have done differently was maybe carved out more of a niche. So, but at that moment in time, I was very much focused on, I've got, you know, very limited resources, very limited cash. And I just wanted to get open in business again. And all I had was my physical skills. You know, I was a good, good, good at pedicures, good at nails, good at waxing, good, very good at massage. And that was what I did. Um, but I definitely wish I'd have maybe stepped back and looked at my demographic and who I was trying to attract. Because over the last maybe eight years, maybe five years as such in the first five years, it was really difficult to try and find my foot in the industry when I went solo again. Was that then just something that came with time, would you say? Or did you really sort of think to yourself, look, this isn't working, I need to figure something out? It was a mixture of the two, I would say. So what happened was, it was fantastic. I mean, in the first maybe three years, you know, I did something like 5,000 eyebrow waxes in that first three years. <laughs> it was like ridiculous amounts. Like, But what ha- what re- what really changed the business for me was, I started to partner with brands and skincare brands and buying equipment and machinery. So I think so there's a brand that I buy all my machines from Silhouette International. So I bought my laser machine, my microdermabrasion, my microcurrent, my radio frequency. And as I started to develop my own treatment menu, you know, becoming more advanced with more treatments and partnering with more brands and retailing more brands. It just kind of unlocked different doors to for me and it attracted different clientele to me. Mm. Um, and it was a natural progression that the beauty side of my business slowed down, but the skin side and the specialisms within my business took off. Yeah. Um, and then I and then I did three years in that location. And you know, I had a fantastic three years in that location, but I outgrew it. Um, I needed something bigger. And I got offered the location that I've been in now for the last five years. And I got so lucky. I was in the right place at the right time. I got offered this shop. It was derelict. And the land, I knew the landlord. And he basically said, this is how impulsive I am. He said, it's been refurbished. It'll be ready in six months. If you want it, you have to say yes now. But I know what I've allowed. When I viewed it, it was it didn't have any it didn't have a roof it didn't have oh, any floors God. it had no ceiling it had no bathrooms it, had, it literally had nothing I can remember going into it and it literally was about ankle deep in mud and water in the oh. basement and he literally said to me if you want it you have to say yes now and it'll be ready in six months but I was so lucky because he gave me full um, control over the design of it oh that's so um, good isn't it so I was very very lucky. Um, but things really changed for me when I moved to this location because it was bigger and it was over two floors and it really gave me the chance to expand what I do. Yeah, and if anybody's not seen your clinic, they need to go on Instagram Yeah, and have a look because it is stunning, absolutely yeah. stunning. Oh, 
it's forever evolving. I'm never happy with it. I'm never, <laughs> ever happy with it, no. But that's like your home. Yeah. Do you know, it, you're it, always doing yeah. something in your home. Yeah, and it is, cause the, even though it is quite homely for a clinic, a lot of people say that it's not your... It's not very, very stark white and that kind of. Yeah, a lot of people say, yeah. A lot of people say to me that you definitely put your own spin on how it looks, and I yeah. agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I do love it. Yeah, because yeah. I think it sounds awful now, but I think in the industry there's a lot of businesses that are becoming lots of carbon copies of one another. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I think you've got to really find your own individual style and run with it. And yeah. try not to try not to copy other people because I just think that you know people come to me because it's actually unique and it's a bit more personal to me. Yeah, we could not agree more. Yeah, and I'll be able to comment on that when we've been to visit you. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> when you were going through all your machines, I'm thinking, will that make me look ten years younger? Will definitely. that get rid of my wrinkles? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. We definitely have to book something in Shelby and come yeah, and visit. Do. We really oh, do. We're do. not even that far away from you. You're not that far away. No, you're no. not. No. Yeah. And likewise, I'll come visit you guys as well. <laughs> yeah, he can yeah. do. Yeah. yeah. Um, one thing I was going to mention then. So did it come to a point where you had to like, because we've had this in salon and, you know, I'm sure there'll be people that want to pay, may, maybe do this, but don't have the confidence did you at some point in them years then look at your treatment menu and go right that's got to go waxing's yes. got to go nails has got to yeah. go whatever it was yeah and how did you tell your clients look next time when you come oh. for your facial you ain't getting your eyebrows waxed well the one oh. anyway no yeah. <laughs> it's it's still an ongoing battle for me if you like um it's not gone away for me i'm still trying to navigate my way through it but over the years what i found was that I'm not a salon that, or a clinic that tends to base my value based upon what my competitors are. So I kind of found that I priced myself where it may detract away from everybody. You know, I'm not looking to attract the world to my mm. business, you know. And I still do beauty treatments. You know, a lot of people don't always realize I still do waxing. I still do manicure, pedicure. I still do a lot of basic beauty, what I would call bread and butter beauty. I've got clients that have been on my books a decade and I would never turn them away. But what I do now is I don't tend to advertise beauty. So you won't see on Instagram lots of pictures of eyebrows and nails for me because it's just not where my passion is lying, I guess. Uh, it's not that it's not passionate about. It's just that my time is really precious and it has to be focused on my clients that are coming through with, say, rosacea or acne or, you know, the clients that really need my help with their skin. Yeah. We had this on the flip side. We were doing predominantly nails, waxing, um, yeah. and we were hardly ever doing facials. And, yeah. you know, we had, um, we used to stock Eve Taylor in salon and we had the whole yeah. range. And we did know sort of what we were doing with it. But it <laughs> came to the point where I had one client who used to come on a Friday night every, maybe every two every months. Mm. Yeah. 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 And it then got to the point where my, my products were going out of date. But yeah. Oh, she yeah. wasn't generating me enough money to afford yeah. to replace all these products. Products, yeah. So it were like, we did it, event well, mum eventually came, we came to the decision, didn't we? And we were like, sorry, we're going to yeah. have to just yeah. stop doing facials. But yeah. I think this goes back to us making tough decisions. Yeah. Because, yeah. yes, we do not want to disappoint anybody, any client, yeah. but we have to do what's right for us and for our businesses. Yeah, and it, I think it's a topic that I think doesn't get actually discussed enough, this topic. Yeah. I think in the industry, we talk, I see it on lots of on lots of online forums, we talk about pricing and how much do you charge for this and how much do you charge for that. One thing that I don't see enough of is businesses talking about how have they edited and, create, and curated their menu and how have they found their niche and how have they, you know, have they had challenges like we both had in that way like had, as they had to make tough, call, tough calls about basically chopping off treatments off the menu yeah mm. I think yeah. naturally we're born to or I don't know who we're born to but we're programmed to put out the positive things yeah, rave about when you've maybe hit a goal that you've been trying to and put it on your social media and tell everybody you know about this great thing that's happened but we're also reserved to say, actually, I made a mistake. Actually, yeah. I'm now having to make a very tough decision 
you know yeah. and you know can you learn from my mistakes that sort yeah. of thing doesn't get spoken about as often because maybe that's because I mean we've been through it you feel a bit embarrassed maybe you feel yeah, a little you feel bit ashamed. Yeah. Ashamed. the shame of that actually it's holding your hands up and saying you know what I've been doing something that's not working for my business and I now need to change direction and I think a lot of people are feared of, of actually doing that and people that are listening to this my advice would be if you have something in your business that's not quite right you know just change it you know don't worry too much about what your customers and clients are necessarily gonna going to think about that you have to do what's right by you yeah I mean we used to struggle taking a two-week holiday I'm not okay. even joking we used to I used to be like right well mum when are you taking your two weeks because I need yeah. to take my two weeks but we can't take them together because we can't have the salon shut so like yeah. me and mum would never go on holiday together. Oh no. So That's it were so like fun. Yeah, and then after the lockdown, like I said to a client today, she were talking about holidays and I said, just to let you know, I am taking a two week holiday if I can <laughs> because I don't feel yeah. bad about it anymore. That's the way yeah. life should be. We are, you know, yeah. whether you are self employed or employed, yeah. you should have time for yourself. Breaks, yeah. I think one of the hardest challenges actually in the industry, and this is across all the beauty, is when you're in our kind of field, people feel that they have ownership of you and they feel like you are compelled to be there for them whenever they expect you to be there. And that is something that is so difficult and so hard to navigate. And I struggle with this even to this very day that sometimes you have to say no to people in order for you to be able to say yes to the things and the people that you want to do and see. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree I more. I think putting boundaries in place. Boundaries, yeah. 100% because we feel guilty taking a day off. Or... You're guilty, yeah. But yeah. Or you're guilty saying no to that client that wants you at six o'clock on a Friday or whatever yeah. it be. Or, or you like, I think in the last maybe eight, eight, in fact, 12 years since I've been in the industry, I probably only ever had off about maybe five Saturdays in the last 12 years which I, I, there's me preaching and then i know you but, need uh, you need to eat your words i know i do i know i do i know i do well, um, but then again we worked every saturday and late nights yeah. but yeah. we stopped working saturdays didn't we shelby about, about three, three years, years ago. ago so you don't work you don't work saturdays don't work saturdays oh, we really? do we yeah. do mondays instead which actually yeah. works really well it seems yes, to be i think that. imagine you've got like clients that are hairdressers or in a similar line of work they tend to have Mondays off which then works yeah. really well for us Mondays are super busy for us every week really mm. oh, that's so surprising I think because you work from home it's giving you that opportunity to do that yeah, um, yeah. exactly I think like for myself I probably struggle because I am on in a town center location yeah. there's lots of shops that open around me on a Saturday so sadly I have to work Saturday but I don't mind that though. It's I'm kind of used to it now. I do think working Saturdays is, is part of the industry. The reason yeah. why we stopped is because we did go home and all our all our neighbours are off work on a Saturday. We didn't want to upset the neighbours by having clients yeah. coming and going. There's kids playing on the road all the time where yeah. we live. It's just not, it wasn't suitable for us really. And it gave us a really good excuse not to work Saturdays. <laughs> yeah, I knew you yeah. were going to say that, but we shouldn't have to make up excuses, should we? No. Yes, the table, actually, Mary, I'm only going to be working Monday to Friday. Yeah. About, when, when was it? About two years ago, because I've over the last couple of years, I've experimented with working hours and different things. And about two years ago, I dropped down to a three-day week with clients. And... I upset clients because they couldn't get in because I was, wasn't doing clients Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I only did Thursday, Friday, Saturday with clients for a period of time, for about a 12-month period. And I did lose clients for it, but I also clients did work with me and they did kind of fit around me a little bit more. But I have reverted back to full-time hours again with clients now. But that was just because I was trying to grow the business and focusing on the business at that time. Yeah, the thing is, like we always say this as well, Shelby, when you are the business owner, yes. it's very difficult for you to carry out, physically carry out the treatments yeah. as well as find time to be the accountant, the cleaner, yeah. the, market, the marketing expert and everything yeah. else that comes with running comes a business. With it, yeah. It's and hard. It's, and it's hard because I think a lot of therapists, they become trapped by that because... They can't grow the business because of that, because they're so consumed 
head down with clients constantly. They almost become an employee of their very own business. Yeah. Which they don't become the business owner, they become the employee of the business. And I just think, you know, you have to dedicate time to to scale your business, to grow your business, to learn how the mechanics of your business work. Especially if you want to have a shop and the trimmings and staff and have product houses that you partner with and you sell in the business, you know, you need to take that time to, to grow your company. Mm, I 100%. We just say this the whole time. We agree with you, Chris. We agree <laughs> yeah. with you. But we do. We 100% do. Oh, thank you. Is there yeah. anything sort of like now then? moving forward in the future mm-hmm. is there any challenges that you can see that maybe currently you need to overcome or you can see arising in the future that you're going to have to deal with yes yeah, so I, I do have a challenge at the moment and the challenge that I have is is time restraint so I've been in like I said I've been in the industry a very long time which is fantastic but it comes with its pitfalls in the sense that I have a huge client database and a huge clientele to, to, to serve. And, you know, I have dipped my toe and I have employed therapists in the past. And, you know, I'm currently on my own in the clinic doing all the treatments. And I definitely need to employ someone because I definitely need to delegate some of my clients and some of the services. And how I choose to split my time, you know, I said earlier, I still do beauty treatments, but I still do advanced skin treatments as well. So I have to tread very cautiously how I still grow the company in the direction that I want without kind of alienating the people that have been around on my books many many years that's a real tricky challenge for me moving forward Mm, yeah I mean I think I know I know what you're saying because I'm thinking back Shelby to when I was in a very similar situation to yourself Chris so at a salon on the high street Mm. I was in partnership um, with a friend she was mm. hair I was beauty um, mm. neither of us had anybody working for us and then mm. Shelby came as an apprentice um, and she's bloody good she's better yeah. than me <laughs> um, and even at a really young age of like 15 16 she could knock out a really good set of nails but it was very difficult to sort of like push some clients towards Shelby yeah. because even though her work was amazing and I yeah. know she was young, they wanted me. Yes, it's so hard to kind of delegate that across and get yeah. the confidence from clients to take somebody else. Yeah. yeah. But if this helps at all, I didn't, I were like, well, I'm really sorry, I can't get you in. So it's yeah. either you go with Shelby or you don't. And the yeah. minute they did, they didn't want to come back to me. <laughs> Oh really? Oh, you had a, we yeah, had a client. Honestly, she still comes like now, and she came back when I was sixteen, which is yeah. nine years ago. Yeah. And she literally would say in front of my face, "Can I book in with Amanda? Oh, is that really? is that appointment with Amanda?" And I'd be like, yeah. "Yes, it's with Amanda." <laughs> you yeah. know, like through gritted teeth. And then one time, I think Mum must have gone away, and I was in the salon, and I said, "Look." it's me or no you're not getting your french nails if not so yeah. she did and then she like leant over like after i've done her nails she leant over with me and she was like um do, can you tell your mum that i'll be going with you in future <laughs> i was like oh god i honestly i got so much satisfaction out of going home and telling mum <laughs> yeah oh but that's so lovely that though because that's enabled you guys to grow your business that's what you want to happen isn't it that's yeah. the ideal scenario isn't it in a way yeah, I think everybody's frightened of change and this includes, change. you know, clients. But yeah. I think if you find that right candidate to employ, then... Yeah. Or so if there's anybody even... listening out there, please come to me because yeah, I need, yeah. I need, I need somebody. <laughs> yeah, get your CVs in. Get your CVs in. Yeah, you heard it here first. <laughs> Is that what you're thinking then, Chris? Do you think you will try that route again or have you got something else in mind? I'm not averse to having another go at employing somebody. I'm definitely more experienced now. Um, I think many years ago when I had tried it, I was a little bit inexperienced as being an employee, I'm sorry, employer. Um, And it was difficult because I'm quite a placid personality. I don't like confrontation, but now I'm a little bit more older, a little bit wiser. And I I don't think I would kind of let anyone walk all over me again like that. Mm. I think... I think there's a fine line, isn't there, between being a boss and someone's friend? 
Yeah. And I'm quite a fair level-headed person. Um, but I definitely do need to employ someone. Um, me and my partner, Darren, who works on reception, he's noticed that the clinic's very, very busy and turning work away. And we do need some help. Yeah. What do they say? You either up your prices or you take somebody on. So yeah. it's yeah. like... And I, can't, yeah, I can't up my prices anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. Not because, of, not because I've been feared, because I'm not one for being feared about price changes. You know, that's an obstacle that is many therapists and salons encounter, isn't it? Price changes. Yeah. I've had numerous price changes over the years, and I don't blink. Like, if I wanted to increase my prices tomorrow, I'd just do it, because I don't feel like I should answer to clients for that, you know? Yeah. I think you have to do what's right for your business. Yeah, 100%. And also... We talk about this millions of times on the podcast, but even yesterday, somebody messaged me and said, oh, you know, um, just got in Elim. So I was like, oh, yes. amazing. Congratulations yeah. on being an Elim Pedi Pro. I've um, had this so much. I'm getting messages by the day. It's amazing, Elim. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I have um, a reservation over it, though, you know. I might ooh. shock everybody now. Oh, Tell us. Go on. Oh, I have a theory. So obviously, I knew Elim way, way back from like, Four or five years ago, I looked at Ilum before it was even distributed into the UK. I knew of Ilum way, way, way back. I even contemplated taking Ilum about six years ago, I think it was. Uh, but at that point, they didn't have the distribution network in the UK. Yeah. Um, but obviously, um, it was Renew Beauty, isn't it, that yeah. took the distribution last year. And it just seems to have exploded, like, massively. And I think there was a huge gap in the market for that kind of pedicure. Yep, certainly. From what I can see and what I'm kind of gathering out there, my only concern about it is that a lot of people don't know how to position it within their business in terms of price-wise. And my perception of it is that it's going to become a little bit of a price war between it because there's so many salons and businesses that are offering different pricing structures with it that I just kind of feel like it's going to get diluted how great the brand is. That's my only concern. And my advice to people that are new limb stockists is remember, you know, it's a scientific brand. It's a med spa brand. You know, it's not always necessarily a salon brand. It's a med spa brand. That's yep. how I see it. Um, you know, charge accordingly for it. You know, if we all charge accordingly for it, the industry is going to benefit and all us limb stockists are going to benefit from yep. that. Right. I've got something to say now, though. <laughs> I have, I'm intrigued. Yeah, go on. Yeah, I've got right. I have got this like theory, right? Yeah. Oh, this bugbear that annoys me, and I tell everyone about it. Like, if you speak to me yeah. in person, I'm probably gonna like preach to you about it. Yeah. I feel like there should be like a movement of people, of therapists, that all yeah. come together. And you know, like how sometimes people might um go on strike. We should yeah. go on like a price. I don't know what to call it, but I feel like price I strike. personally think brands should be setting to some yes. degree prices yes. well I, well, I like agree with a this. recommended yes. yes like a recommended retail yeah. price and yeah and it, it's not even just a problem with Ilum. this this is a problem across every product house in the industry yeah because i've had this argument with many many brands it, it, I, I get that it's locality why prices are set for certain treatments but i just think the industry for treatments it I do feel, in some respects, it could do with standardising. I really yeah, do. Yeah, I do. I feel like play, yeah. there's the too of much of a gap. There's, there's, it's too big. I understand, like, for example, you go to Louis Vuitton, a bag might be a £1,000. You yeah. don't then go to Selfridges to buy your Louis Vuitton and it's under quid. It's yeah. still the same product. It's still the same treatment. Right. I feel like there should be, yeah, you might get it on a special offer. You might get a blogger yeah. who does a influencer yeah. code and you get 10 percent off <laughs> can i just say to anybody listening shelby's arms are like waving all over the place <laughs> she's got you know like pitchforks at dawn here yeah oh, i just yeah. feel like there should be some standardization and it should be set yeah. by brands that says yeah. if you use our product this is a luxury product charge. this is yeah. how much you need to charge yeah. in your salon yeah. and it'll help everybody it Funny. helps all therapists yeah. Because all in the last couple of months, I'm part of lots of different forums for different brands on Facebook and stuff. And it's just literally littered of littered with therapists that are kind of stumbling in the dark and they just don't know what to charge. Yeah. And ch I mean, pricing should actually be based upon what your operating costs are per yeah, hour. Based. Yeah. Yeah. And I get that. But I think there's still enough margin within the industry for people to still cover their operating costs and still have a standard 
pricing of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd love I to, do. going back to Ilham, I'd love for them to kind of come out, especially with new who distribute in the UK, and say, actually, it's not recommended. This is what we say you charge. Because there might be salons and clinics around us that charge more or less mm. um, for their treatments. And I just think it waters down people's businesses for it. Does. For it. Yeah. it actually does. I know, like, um, I've lost my train of thought there. That's the menopause. I know, like, going back years, it, all this with pricing has started from Mary undercutting Sarah. Do you know? Yeah. She yeah. thought, right, so salons were next door to each other. Next door's yeah. charging twenty pounds. Yeah. Well, I'm going to charge fifty. Yeah. yeah. I wonder when that began because I wonder if the rise of social media influenced that because obviously people could showcase their work and their prices more. I think and it was before then. I, I, I think it was when maybe beauty therapy became more popular, which meant yeah. more salons were in a smaller location, which meant yes. to compete for the clients. I yeah. mean, my dad used to say, I would tell you this, and I hope everyone takes it with a pinch of salt. We used Our salon used to be in a like, local area called, I'm going to say it's called Outwood. And my dad used to say, there must be some ugly people in Outwood to keep you all busy because <laughs> there were that many salons yeah. but not enough people in the local area to fill everybody. Fill so I feel all. for okay. us, that's when we noticed it, people yeah. undercutting. Really? Okay. I noticed yeah. it with spray tans. That oh, was the yeah, first that was ever the beginning. time. Yeah, yeah, that was the beginning. Yeah. I see, it's strange for me because I've never really based my pricing on competition. I've always based it upon my value, my experience, my operating costs, make sure I'm covering those, and the ambience and the luxuriousness of my space as well. Yeah, you know, yeah. like I've never really been one of those therapists that has undervalued what I charge. Like I'm a massive advocate for going high and charge a high price because you're worth it. Yeah. We are so with you. Yeah. And like maybe we should start our own movement. Yeah. yeah. Have you heard of Maddie Cook, Chris? Uh, a lady called Maddie and she owns a business called Boss Your Salon. Possibly, maybe. You should have a look on Instagram. Look. Um, she's a hairdresser, I believe. Yeah. We've had mm. her on the podcast before, we, so we've done mm. one on charging your worth. Yeah. Um, and she's started a business which it teaches you, very similar to what you've just said on a on a framework mm. of like, you know, how much your overhead, how much your product costs, yeah. etc. And she even has a calculator which allows you to put all these figures in and it mm. tells you how much you should be charging per hour, yeah. Per hour, per treatment, whatever it is, yeah. for to make a good profit, you know, to make a living. Because I think yeah. like Maddie said, there's people out there that are not even earning minimum wage and they don't realise it. They don't realise what they what they're doing to themselves. Yeah. And not just it's the physicalness of it as well. Like, imagine if you've been doing it for five years and you've not charged properly and all that strain on your body and your yeah. wrists and all those long days, those 10, 12-hour days back to back, you know, it begins to take its toll. And at the end of it, you know, you know you're there to work so that you can progress in your own life personally as well as business. You know, you want that nice house and to get on the property ladder and a nice car and holidays. You know, you're not there just to to do it to break even yeah absolutely so to wrap things up because i know we've had you for quite a while now <laughs> it's fine, um, if you could give one piece of advice to our listeners right now what would yeah. it be so i i kind of call these my two p's so persistence and perseverance so you've got to have persistence in this industry you, you know it's not going to happen overnight and same with perseverance you've got to just hang on in there and believe that one day you will make it um like i said there's many people that said to me you know you will fail you won't succeed you won't be able to compete in the industry but you know i stuck at it i never gave up there was lots of people that when i was at college did gave up and i actually think out of the majority of the people i went to college with i'm one of the only ones that actually had a career in it mm. out of all those girls and all those women on that course mm. that i did I was the one that actually continued and went on. I can think of, on the top of my head, only two people from I my think I can think of nobody. From because every, everybody thinks they can do it, but the reality of it is that it is a really difficult industry to crack and to break in, and it's not easy. You know, so, yeah, my, my advice would be persistence and perseverance. I call it my two Ps. <laughs> um, what else would I say? Um, the other one would be to... 
find your niche really early on. Like, don't just open a salon or a business and think you're going to do everything and be everything. You know, are you going to focus on nails? Are you going to focus on makeup? Are you going to be a skin specialist? Are you going to be a masseur? You know, are you going to offer a full service menu, a full service salon? You know, if I had my time over, that would be the one thing that I would probably do is really think about the demographic that I want to serve and the type of people I want in my business. That's because I think it would have made life a lot easier if I'd have done that much easier. Yeah. Well, that's very, very, very good advice. We have agreed with absolutely everything you've said in this podcast. <laughs> thank yeah. you. Yeah, really. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's been absolutely. Oh, thank you. It's been absolutely amazing. Thank you very much. For oh having... no, well, I've, yeah. I have loved it. I've loved every oh, minute. I knew I was gonna though. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, and I managed to get everything out there that I wanted to say. So that's really good. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So like, obviously, we spoke about your clinic, and if anybody wants to come and follow you, drop in the CV, yes. maybe. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Your Mr. Finch and Skin on yeah. Instagram. Mr. Um, and Skin, yeah. And so, yeah. I'm on Instagram, on Facebook. And yeah, drop me a message. You know, I love, do you know, actually, one of the things I've realized recently is because I've been having a lot of messages, like I said, from lots of other business owners. It's got me thinking do I want to kind of create my own movement, if I'm honest? Right. Oh, so, is, this, yeah. is this another exclusive? I don't know. I just I, I get lots of messages and compliments off other fellow entrepreneurs and people in the industry. And I just think maybe there is something that I could do that kind of mm. brings everybody together a little bit like you're doing in a way, but in a different kind of format, more in a business capacity, I guess. Because mm. um, I feel like from a business side of things, I've been through a lot. I've been there, done it, had worn the T-shirt. Um, there's a lot of advice that I could give other businesses that are on their journey along the way. Yeah. yeah. Food for thought. Or possibly I don't know where I'm going to fit all that in though but yeah, yeah. <laughs> we need to find the member of staff first to free yes, the you member up. of staff to free me up yeah free free Finchie <laughs> yeah yeah that could be yeah. the new movement <laughs> the new yeah <laughs> drop your CV in to, to free Finchie yeah <laughs> well oh, thank you again Chris yeah, you've been an absolutely you. amazing guest yeah no thank you so much for having me I really appreciate it thank you so much for listening to this episode if you've enjoyed our podcast, please leave us a review and subscribe. We would love to connect with you on social media. You can follow us on Instagram at The Beauty Edit Podcast or join our Facebook group, The Beauty Edit Podcast Society. Thank you so much again and please do look out for another episode of The Beauty Edit Podcast. <laughs>